How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 122 of How About That Cigar Live. Guys, thank you so much for joining us live on Facebook, live on YouTube. And for those of you listening after the fact on the audio podcast, thank you so much for listening while you drive down the road or work out whatever it is you do when you listen to your favorite audio podcast. Thank you so much for making How About That Cigar a part of that. And as always, guys, we are live from the Drew Estate Cigar Studios. And let's talk about the new 25-count boxes for the Drew Estate Papas Fritas. Beginning this month, Drew Estate's Liga Pravada Unico Series Papas Fritas will be available in new 25-count boxes, replacing the current 50-count boxes. Since the launch of Papas Fritas in 2012, the Vitola quickly became one of the most beloved and popular offerings in the Liga Pravada Unico Siri line. The small, handy size handy. made the cigar an, ex an excellent choice for cigar lovers who only have a short time to enjoy a rich and savory Liga Pravada. While the packaging will be changing to consumer-friendly 25-count boxes, the uniquely constructed cigars in each box will remain the same Papas Fritas the marketplace has come to love. For more info, please visit drewestate.com so episode 122 beautiful night in minnesota it is uh you know it's with the weather has finally kind of calmed down into a level playing field humidity humidity's low a little low it's lower 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 breezy breezy mosquitoes are pretty much not a not a big issue this year because we talked about before we went live it's been pretty dry yeah um and so our Minnesota Twins, uh, we love them, but my goodness, they're struggling. They're they were super hot and cold. Um, so I misspoke last week or two weeks ago, maybe when we talked about losing our beloved Nelson Cruz. I thought he went to Seattle, but he didn't go to Seattle. He went to Tampa Bay. So we faced him for the first time, and it was really great to see the crowd at Target Field uh, cheer for Nelson Cruz and and you know really you know, still give him his props because, you know, w whether he's playing for Minnesota or not, that doesn't change the fact that he's one of the best hitters of all time. He's a great, yep. great guy. And a great guy, yeah. So it was really cool to see that. Um, far as preseason football goes, you know, it's preseason. Each of our teams got annihilated, but nobody Hammered. played any starters. So yeah. it's, it's preseason. What are you going to do? What do you do? And I want to... Give a big shout out, happy birthday to our friend Andrew Tolzman. Uh, a lot of you, some of you guys know Andrew, some of you don't. Andrew is a contributor here at How About That Cigar. He's written some articles for us, uh, and uh, he is—he's uh, just a great guy. He's one of our good friends, and uh, he celebrates his birthday today. So, uh, shout out to Andrew. Happy birthday to you. I'm an idiot. Did you talk to him today and didn't tell him happy birthday? I had a cigar with him. You today. had a oh, swing and a miss. You got to make up for that. But there's, oh, you, I'm sorry, Andrew. You, you have cigars that you can use to help make up for that. I, I <laughs> so uh, happy birthday, brother, wherever you are. Um, so guys, let's jump right in. We have some great guests on the show tonight, and we're going to cover some stuff that's it's really important for all of us as cigar smokers, and even for. If we have, hopefully, maybe even some friends and family listening and watching that aren't really necessarily premium cigar consumers, this is for you, too. It yep. really is for you, too. So uh, we talk about that a lot where we want 
our friends and family who are not into premium cigars to understand this this passion and this hobby that we that we pursue so strongly mm-hmm. uh, and understand what is so different about it from every other tobacco product in the world. So uh, let's jump right into our special guests of the evening. And as always, special guests on How About That Cigar Live are brought to you by Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's start out this evening with our first guest. He has been on the show before and welcome him back for another appearance from the Premium Cigar Association. Please welcome Josh Aberski. Welcome back to How About That Cigar Live. Hey, guys. How are you doing? It's a beautiful night. Thank you so much for being on again. Thank you. Real excited to uh, enjoy a cigar and some conversation with you. I know that there's been a lot going on in recent weeks, and uh, we're looking forward to give uh, giving folks some updates and tips and tricks on how to, you know, defend and and help save this passion of ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So let's bring on our next guest. Also, his second appearance on How About That Cigar Live. Please welcome, also from the Premium Cigar Association, Glenn Loop. Welcome back to the show, brother. Gentlemen, thanks for having me back. I'm, I was just having a flashback to the time I was with you, and I was sitting in the upstairs cubby hole at the Casa de Monte Cristo in That's Washington, right. D.C. That's right. I can't remember. There was, what, I think it was a debate night, wasn't it? It was a debate night. It was a debate yeah, night. Yep. Yes. And so I was distracted because I was watching the screen and watching you. <laughs> and I assure you, you, you were far more entertaining. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm glad sure. to hear that. <laughs> and finally, this evening, uh, this is his first appearance on the show, and we are very grateful to have him on. He is from our own favorite state of Minnesota, and he is one of our own state representatives. Please welcome to the show, Jim Nash. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I am sitting on my deck because that's the only place I'm allowed to smoke a cigar. So if I look like I'm being lit in a movie by Ed Wood, please forgive me. It's uh, it's getting a little dark, but uh, happy to join you. Happy to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart and uh, look forward to the, the conversation this evening. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, we're grateful to have you guys on. Uh, and, and as always, we want our viewers and listeners uh, you know, to, uh, just really, really dig into what we're talking about tonight. You know, we're not, all of us are going to agree on every topic, but we want, we want robust discussion. You know, if you guys have questions and comments, please leave that, uh, along with us on Facebook and YouTube. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of things tonight, actually what I want to dive into first, since it is his first, uh, first time on the show, uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about, uh, yourself you know how you got uh came to be a part of the minnesota house of representatives uh which which uh district you serve and and what your passions are 
Well, thanks for the question. So I have served in the Minnesota legislature for the last four sessions. This is my fourth. And prior to that, I was the mayor here in my hometown of uh, Waconia, Minnesota. Prior to that, I was city council member. And when I got to the legislature, uh, I began realizing that there were all kinds of things that I could throw my weight behind. But one of them that's important to me is really creating a level playing field from a tax perspective. And I realized that my cigars that I enjoy were being taxed at $3.50 a stick. And I thought that was ridiculous. So I did what any uh, young, dumb, and uh, full, of, full of piss and vinegar legislator would do. And I decided to start <laughs> drafting bills. And uh, we, we worked very, very hard at it uh, my first term. I was told that I was uh, killing children one cigar at a time. And uh, we proved that wrong. But eventually we were able to pass it in my second term. And we've, uh, we've been able to both pass it and hold it off for the last number of years. And I know that's some of what we're going to be talking about tonight. But uh, so here in Waconia, my wife and I live uh, last 20 some odd years uh, with our six kids. And we just love Minnesota, uh, particularly on a night like tonight. Yeah, it really it really has been beautiful lately. We've we've been really grateful for that. Um, uh, I also want to go around uh, our guests here and talk about what everybody is smoking and drinking selfishly i'm going to start with us uh, because josh was kind enough to send us some of these beautiful el politico cigars uh and so josh we're gonna start with you um uh remind us a little bit because the news about el politico actually broke on it was an, it was first announced to the public on how about that cigar live uh so remind us a little bit about uh these beautiful cigars and uh what you're also smoking and drinking with us this evening yeah so i'm i'm <laughs> Drinking Poland Springs water and uh, <laughs> having a uh, El Politico and then also an Alec Bradley Corinthian leather. Um, picked that up in my hometown of Erie, Pennsylvania uh, over the weekend. Uh, but we, we did release El Politico. We talked about it on How About That Cigar uh, first. And then we uh, gave, gave out a few to folks at the trade show, the PCA trade show. And uh, have, have gotten a lot of good reception from it. This is a project that I worked on with uh, Luciano from Ace Prime and the Pichardo factory. I visited Nicaragua in January for eight days, uh, worked on the concept, the, the name, the artwork, the, the blend itself. Um, it, uh, it's a mild cigar. And, you know, from a lot of the, the critics and people that I look up to and, and read their reviews in the cigar media, they enjoyed it at the trade show. Uh, we're going to be telling kind of the full story of it, um, you know, further down the line. And uh, eventually we will be taking it to market to raise money uh, for the retailer and, and industry defense funds so that we can help support the litigation and lobbying <laughs> that we do. But it's a, a great show and talking piece for me. Uh, on the inside of the band, it has my name on it so I can get rid of my business cards. And, um, you know, it's been nothing but fun to talk about. Um, and, and, and I always tell on every show I'm a consumer first. Uh, so I'm proud to, to stand by something that I uh, got to work on. Yeah. Best and, business card ever. It really is. <laughs> and, and realistically, anything, you know, a, a project with Luciano is going to be a slam dunk. He's not going to put something out there with his name attached to it. Um, and, and it's, I mean, dude, it's a really good cigar. 
It yeah, really is. We were able to have one at the at the show. Super grateful, and thank you for sending Matt and I a few more. You're welcome. So, Glenn, tell us what you have fired up to start this evening, and uh, if you have a tasty beverage, let us know that as well. Oh, the tasty beverage is uh, is Blue Ridge Virginia water in my University of Virginia cup. Nice. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, what's that? I said, is that the twelve year? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this old saying about Virginia light bulbs uh, how many does it take to change one and, and it's uh it's three one to change the bulb and two to talk about how good the old one was <laughs> but, any, but but i digress uh, as i was mentioning in the when we were chatting in the green room uh i was driving back from richmond virginia's and uh havana connections there owned by shorty cable i called him to see if he was in town and he was not but he said he insisted that I go by and, and buy some of these new cigars he got in from the trade show. It's Jack Wyatt. And look, we were chatting. It, it's becoming a, a talk of the industry that I wish I knew more about, but by the power of, proves the power of suggestion of a local tobacconist when he says, go try something and you do. And I bought two of every size he has. Um, and it's absolutely delicious. And it goes to, goes to prove the point that I heard Carlito Fuente say one time, there's always enough room for another good one. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's what uh, we need to remember when we're talking about new blends coming on the market, new companies starting up, the entrepreneurial spirit of this industry, the boutique side of this industry. I think it's important to all, all of us remember when you got great blends and a great uh, passion behind a blend, uh, there's always enough room for one more. Yeah. Uh, but uh, before we go on from there, I just want to digress for 10 seconds and say this is a special broadcast because um, I think your viewers are, are actually blessed to have an elected official, somewhat, the only person on this thing that gets his mail addressed to the honorable. And it's very, very, I can speak from this. I'm not just blowing smoke up your skirt, Jim, but it's, it, I feel strongly about this. It is very, as Josh can attest, it's very, very unusual that anybody that's an elected official is willing to come on a, a broadcast of this nature to proclaim their support of our industry at any level of government from city hall to the state legislature to a governor's mansion amen and, and yeah. i true i truly believe that and I, i'm not just saying that because jim's a friend and he's a friend of this industry he gets his mail address to the honorable he's elected by his constituents to represent them i watch his podcasts i watch his facebook lives on what he does for the spirits industry the the just the distilled spirits industry, the microbrewery industry, and, and now cigars. And uh, you know, we'll just start calling him uh, the vice representative. Or something. <laughs> anyway. Nice. Anyway, I think it's special. It is. It is. Uh, and speaking of that, let's, uh, Jim, tell us about what you're smoking and drinking with us this evening. Yeah, happy to. So tonight I've got uh, Lagoria Cubana Serie R Maduro. And my, uh, my backup is the uh, Macanudo Inspirado. And mm. I purchased these one at um, Churchill's in Victoria, Minnesota, and the other at Stogie's on Grand in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. So those are both uh, guys that I, I depend on for help at the Capitol. And then to drink, uh, I've got this delicious 15-year-old Bemore Scotch, which is one mm. of my favorites. Um, so I've got that in, uh, my favorite Glencairn glass and, uh, enjoying that here on the deck. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, Glenn, you really, you really hit the nail on the head that we, 
and this is one of the reasons that we wanted to have Jim on the show because I I came to learn about Jim a few years ago when when we did have this tax victory in Minnesota and I learned that he was one of the key players in making this happen uh, and and I learned it from a couple cigar shop owners in the Twin Cities area saying that um you know because there there were really some there was some great solidarity solidarity between some some local shop owners uh and and Jim along with uh you know some other people in the state who really you know really put the work forward to to make this happen um and so Jim I wanted to have you talk to us a little bit about kind of what went into what what does it look like when you go in and and make a change like this to a tax law as far as uh, how did it look for you as far as going to the different shop owners and working with them working with PCA working with possibly other organizations to to aid in this fight and and then even maybe transition that a little bit into possibly some keys that some people from other states could learn from and possibly use to aid in their own uh, quest for freedom. Sure. So the, the first thing that I would say is you need to understand when you're trying to change a, a law like this, that a tax has nothing to do with the quote unquote big tobacco industry. In fact, this is, this is a, it was a tax that did nothing but hurt local shop owners, which is who we support. So when I got to the legislature, I realized that uh, it was something that I wanted to talk about and was happy to keep banging my head against the wall if it, if it was necessary. But the way we did it is we drafted the bill and I found a willing partner over in the Minnesota Senate. Um, Senator Rod Roger Chamberlain was very, very helpful. Um, but and I'll stress this, and, and you know, you, you hear so much about Republicans like myself and Democrats fighting like cats and dogs, and sometimes that's true. But on this particular issue, I had people who were supportive on both sides of the aisle. So when I first drafted the bill, as I had said earlier, I was a freshman. So it was my first term in the legislature, and we worked to get it into the tax committee in the House. And... <laughs> The, the news media, you guys may remember this, the news media showed up and there were like eight cameras that were stuck in my face as I was leaving my office and mm -hmm. walking to the committee hearing room. I do yep. remember that. Yeah. And as a freshman, uh, the Minnesota House has a tradition that when you present your first bill in a new committee that you were supposed to bring treats. So being a somewhat devious person, I thought, <laughs> well, I'm going to bring the best treats that I possibly can because there may be an opportunity to argue a point if if it gets down to it so i i went to one of the local minneapolis places that make like those super premium donuts right you know the ones like bacon and pieces of cereal on top and yeah so, so i went and i bought i think i bought four dozen of those and if you go back and look for the news piece um the local news media was like filming the the donuts and the donuts were being passed out and my bill came forward and it was it was brought up and one of the uh, members of the committee who was just vehemently against, well, one, the lowering of taxes in general, but two, uh, against the tobacco bill that she had in front of her. She said, well, Representative Nash, I, I believe that you're killing children and that uh, this is ultimately going to lead to the downfall of the healthy state of Minnesota and that you're going to not only be killing children, but you're also going to be harming adults who don't know enough to not smoke a cigar. 
And that was the moment I was waiting for. And the moment was, and I, I won't use their name because we've since become pretty good pals, but I said, well, Representative, more people die from obesity than they do from premium cigars. And she, she was lifting the donut to take her first bite. And I said, well, if you will author a bill to have a $3.50 tax on every premium donut, I will have this bill returned to author. She put the donut on the napkin that she had in front of her and didn't say a word for the rest of the afternoon. Now, now, what happened was, uh, you know, Clearway had people coming out to say that I was one of the Clearway activists said, well, here you are sitting in your fancy thousand dollar suit, lighting your cigar with hundred dollar bills and and you're just killing children. And as you guys will realize, I'm kind of a smart ass. Um, and, and I said, well, ma'am, I, I actually got this suit on sale at the end of last season, so I didn't pay a thousand dollars for it. But thank you. Um, but what, what we were ultimately able to do was to get some of our local shop owners into the committee. And I, I credit my friends like Mark Wolk and, um, Derek Smeagle and James from, from burn and a, a bunch yeah. of others who came forward and said, here's what this tax means to us. And this is the, this is the part that I think we should stress for, uh, legislators and shop owners and, and activists in other States is this has nothing to do with tobacco. You could be selling, um, a, a telephone or uh, a glass or whatever, taxing it at an, at an abnormally high rate to change the behavior of whomever may be consuming it is just the wrong thing. And it ultimately is going to harm the brick and mortar stores that sell it. So fast forward and we, we didn't get it done the first year because uh, we did not have the Minnesota Senate in our party's control, even though the majority leader, Tom Bach, uh, is a friend of mine and likes cigars. He just didn't have the votes to change it. So you move to the next year and uh, the Senate has changed hands and we were able to get the bill moved forward. And a, a huge cohort of Democrats and Republicans who all who like cigars or just recognize that it's bad tax policy to, to harm the brick and mortar folks put up the votes uh, we had some local lobbyists that had been contracted by the, the local cigar shops, and I myself did the, the, a lot of lobbying myself, and we got the thing passed, signed into law. Um, you may remember, guys, that uh, Governor uh, Dayton called me out by name from a press conference saying, well, Representative Nash's cigar bill will kill people. And, yeah. you know, in the, in the floor debate that day that it passed off the floor, one of the opposing side members uh, held up the article that was published in Cigar Aficionado, but it was the, the research that was done by the New England Journal of Medicine and paid for by the U.S. Center for Disease Control. And I, I, I had the article, but I couldn't, I, 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 for some reason, I just forgot to put it in my briefcase to carry it over to the, the chambers. So I went and got it off of Cigar Aficionado, printed it off, and had the, the pages in the chamber circulated to every member. So during floor debate, one of the other side held it up and said, well, right here, you're, you're passing out propaganda, Representative Nash, and, and you have to resort to propaganda in order to get it passed. And I thought to myself, well, do I go there? Do I bust his chops? Turns out, yes, I was going to bust his chops. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, well, Representative, clearly you didn't read the article because if you would, you would have gone to the bottom of the second page and you would have read the attribution from CDC and New England Journal of Medicine and I'm sure that you agree that those are two organizations that are likely to stick around because they do good work. 
And he began nodding his head. And I said, well, let the record show that representative, and I won't say his name, but representative agrees with me. And I am welcome. I welcome his next question. Well, he didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the bill got passed. The governor signed it. And they have done their level best to repeal it a number of times. Um, and that's where I think I think we're going to go with another question. Or if you want to just keep going, I'll talk about the importance of creating really a coalition of people who can move uh, legislation forward or prevent it from happening again. So if you want me to keep going, let me know. Well, let's uh, I, I do want you to keep going, but I want Garrett to jump in here. Yeah. So what I. What I would love to see by the by the end of this, that we have information for the this, this, this cigar connoisseur, the cigar, the people that enjoy cigars, as well as our non cigar consumers. What I would like to know from the panel and Glenn, we can maybe start with you. What makes this product different than any other tobacco product, in your opinion? Well, where is it? I've got a copy here somewhere. I'll pull it down before this broadcast. But you've got to read the book, Velvet Glove Iron Fist, which is a history of the anti-smoking movement. And you get three quarters of the way through the book. And you realize that if the cigar industry had play, started to play the political game in the literally the 80s, much less the 90s, boom, that it would be a very different political day today. But it never thought it would happen to them. And meanwhile, the opposition, the anti-tobacco opposition was creeping up behind the cigar industry, doing its level best to create a political environment where all tobacco products are created equal. Well, we know they're not. But our opposition was doing a, an incredible job behind the scenes from the 80s, the 90s, and early 2000s to lump everything into one big demonized tobacco box. Yeah. And to the point where if you read the final rule that was issued in 2016 by the FDA, you will see that the Food and Drug Administration went to great pains in that document to equate this product with a carton of cigarettes literally yeah a pack of cigarettes and that there was no difference that we were the pathway to the use of other tobacco products well we know that it's biologically impossible to let to to absorb the level of nicotine in a premium handmade cigar into your bloodstream because we don't inhale we know that we cannot be equated with the three cardinal principles of why the congress passed the tobacco control act in the first place inhalation, addiction, and mortality. You cannot equate this product from a public health perspective as a danger due to inhalation, addiction, or mortality. And the fourth cardinal principle, the reason you cannot equate us to other tobacco products from a regulatory perspective, from a tax perspective, from a banning perspective, is because of the statistically proven lack of youth appeal. Well, those were the four cardinal reasons the Congress passed the Tobacco Control Act. Right. Inhalation, addiction, mortality, and youth appeal. And now the FDA, oh, lo and behold, has come to this grand realization 
that is to, it is statistically insignificant to try to find a rationale, a path, any evidence that we attract America's youth to this product. It's for discerning adults. First cigarette at 16, first cigar at 27, our base demographic 35 to 65. And we don't have to go down the path of, of Jose Orlando Padron or Carlos Fuente or Avo living into their 90s. Right. I once had this debate with a with a scientist in the anti-tobacco arena, and I thought it was a cool statement. You know, Churchill had eight cigars a day and made it to 91. Yeah. And I said, 91's a pretty good run. Um it's it's simply the the science is on our side the research is on our side the demographic analysis is on our side i've got to pull this out yes josh it's show and tell time <laughs> and we documented all this we documented it all and we submitted it to the fda 529 pages there's the CDC study that, that Representative Nash alluded to. There's the New England Journal of Medicine study that Representative Nash alluded to. There is a, an analysis here of over 12 million transactions showing that America's youth aren't smoking cigars. There's the analysis on nicotine showing you're not absorbing it in your bloodstream and you're not going to become addicted. It's all right there. And that was the basis of the multi-million dollar litigation that's right there yeah and a federal judge agreed with us and that's the reason as in the words of our litigation counsel to this day that's the reason that cigar boxes are not billboards for government speech yeah and that's the reason that new companies like this jake wyatt that i'm smoking and other new companies and new blends have been able to come on the market because of that type of a, of a litigation victory that was built upon our legislative victories and our legislative advocacy from the ground up. And I know we're gonna get into all those types of questions, mm -hmm. but all this goes together to prove what the FDA themselves have now come to the conclusion of. We are the lowest rung of priority for enforcement of any kind. If you go through the literally over 1 million compliance inspections for underage sales for other types of display violations for the things they make these cold calls on on tobacco stores and convenience stores to try to nab people and violating federal rules and state rules that's the reason you're not going to find a statistically significant number of anything associated with the premium handmade cigar industry in in those studies yeah and in that analysis right so I hope that all goes in together to demonstrate and prove that the evidence is clearly on our side, that we're not like, as Jim put it, big tobacco. Yeah. He, he well, nailed it when he said that. You've got to politically say that. Yeah. And, and to, to follow up and to play a little devil's advocate, Glenn, um, it, I appreciate that you have that book that probably had some words in it. <laughs> but a few. <laughs> what what can people do or where can people go to confirm that information it's one thing for a biased panel to come and say the evidence is on our side the science is on our side but if that information isn't easily accessible no 
it Josh, becomes a moot point. Josh so. will tell you he's he's done a masterful job of putting together these uh, one-page position papers that are available at CigarAction.org. So, Josh, why don't you explain our bullet points? That yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I agree. I agree with everything that Glenn mentioned. I think that in terms of your question, Garrett, in terms of consumers, where can they find this information to have that conversation? Or non-consumers that are just interested in the political discussion surrounding surrounding cigar freedom and the ability to enjoy legal adult products. Uh, so, you know, cigaraction.org, we have these policy uh, position statements. And oftentimes when we're arguing with the scientific community and are arguing with the FDA, um, recently we just presented to the National Academies of Sciences on a discussion about the health effects and usage patterns of premium cigars, we are continuously using their own data and their own research. So what Glenn mentioned and uh, all of those points are affirmed by something called the PATH study. Um, this is a longitudinal study of health effects of different tobacco products. And that's where we get the affirmation of the non-youth access. Um, basically, if you are the average cigar consumer, you consume less than two cigars a month, and there are no different public health effects uh, between those average consumers of premium cigars and non-smokers in general. Um, this has been affirmed time and time again by the Food and Drug Administration. Last January, they said that there is no youth access issue or negligible youth access issue. So we have to turn around the statements um, and use those by the public health authorities, the scientists um, in those discussions. And also being very vigilant, um, we in the industry, and, and especially in premium cigars, we don't employ scientists to create industry data or industry studies. We are working within the framework of the public health authority. So that adds some gravitas to the argument. The one thing that I would add to Glenn's statement um, is the economic side of it, the business side of premium cigars. This is predominantly small businesses, your local tobacconists, family-owned manufacturers. Um, but there's a lot of folks that depend on these jobs in the United States, 30,000 in the retail sector, 120,000 in connected businesses domestically. And then that's not even counter or uh, factoring in the employment in Nicaragua, Honduras, the Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Mexico. We're talking upwards of 300,000 people that if this in the United States, if we are overregulated or more constraints are put on this industry, that creates residual problems that, that are national and international in scope. From yeah. migration, national security, uh, unemployment, in, in, you know, instability, international instability. E yeah, economic instability in those countries. Yeah, that's been a conversation we've been asserting more in the administration change um, from, from Trump to Biden. The small business side, that has been something consistent. We frequently met with Trump administration, people across both party lines. Uh, in Congress, but that international component is even more and more important now with the administration and party change. Yeah, I think if I could jump in on some of this too. Yeah, the um, the 
the detailed studies were very, very helpful when I would go to my colleagues' offices who were of a mind to read data like that. And once they began getting convinced, then I brought in a lot of the local shop owners. And uh, we had created kind of a, a graphic. It was very rudimentary, but it worked really well. That showed that these high taxes, um, which is you know what I'm proud to have gotten rid of, were not helping or um, benefiting the quote-unquote tobacco uh, companies. Because when, when you sell a stick like either one of these, um, you're selling it at a, a, a certain price to the brick and mortar store and the tax is applied by the state in this case the state of minnesota and that was going solely to the state and when we began educating not only uh, other legislators but people in the 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 greater area of both anti-tobacco and people who i guess had sort of been acculturated to thinking that cigars were dirty and they were like cigarettes and and they're evil and they're killing people. We're, we're trying to show them, one, uh, they're not, but two, this tax was trying to change behavior. And I likened it back to another Minnesota effort that was in the 1930s read, or brought, it, brought to us by then Congressman Volstad. I think you guys oh, know wow. that. Uh, remember yeah. the, the Volstad Act? Yeah. The yes. Volstad Act is what brought us prohibition. And yep. it, was, it was destined uh, at its onset to change the behaviors of people in the United States from moving away from uh, being able to consume alcohol. It had no effect whatsoever. In fact, it just ran it underground. But the combination that we had was one, show them that the, the data that, that uh, Glenn held up at the time, just a minute ago, this huge dictionary sized piece of research showed that the people who they were wringing their hands over saying that people will be dying. The average cigar smoker doesn't smoke that many cigars. Uh, youth, it had been proven, are not consuming them. You look at the very strong enforcement by brick and mortar owners saying, hey, you know, can I see an ID before I sell you this cigar, before I even mm -hmm. let you into the shop? And, you know, I've been there at many of our Twin Cities and, and other state um, cigar stores, and they're really, really good at saying, you're not 18, you have to leave. I can't sell you a cigar. Yeah. So you put that together. And then I took a moment and I met with um, the now DFL tax chair. And in, in Minnesota, we call our Democrats DFL, it stands for Democrat Farmer Labor. But I, I met with somebody who I consider a friend of mine. His name is Paul Marquardt. So we yeah. lost the majority. He became the tax chair. And I sat down with him when there was a bill brought forward to reinstate the tax and then this last session was to elevate it to $5 per stick. And I, I said, Paul, here's the thing. This has nothing to do with changing people's behaviors. It has everything to do with killing off small businesses. And I, we were able to convince him. Now, here's an interesting piece that I think that other legislators who may be watching this uh, and our friends at PCA may want to begin encouraging other legislatures to, to pay attention to is this. What is one of the bills that is gaining traction all across the country in states uh, like Minnesota this last year? The legalization of recreational cannabis. Yeah. So uh, once again, I'm devious and snarky. So I saw who brought forward the bill to bring the cigar tax to $5. And then I cross-tabbed the other bills that this person was an author on. Well, wouldn't you know it, 
they were in favor of the legalization of recreational cannabis, which you do inhale. Yeah. And I, I asked the, the legislator, I said, so can you help me out with something? Can you tell me if there is some medical quality to marijuana smoke? Is it, is it like a salad for your lungs? And <laughs> yes, I'm a smart ass, but she got, she, she got a little angry with me. Um, and I asked a number of other legislators the same, that if you are in favor of the inhalation of cannabis smoke, why are you opposed to premium cigars, which you did not inhale? They had no answer. Yeah. And I think it comes down to this. And I think we all know this, but many of our, our viewers tonight and in the future don't, is that there's like, there's an effort to demonize tobacco. And it's been out there for years. And I'll be very blunt. I don't care about cigarettes. I don't care about any of that. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but I like my cigars. I don't inhale them. I deal with them responsibly. And I, I think Glenn said this earlier. I am, I am an adult. I get to make adult choices and with adult choices are also consequences or at least potential consequences. Mm -hmm. And the question that, that you have to ask people who are on a tirade to slow this down is when do I get to make decisions for myself? knowing that there may be consequences and and that's a fair question and i think it's a question that yeah. has to get asked is yeah at what point at what point does an adult get to make a decision that they gain as much information on and and move forward yeah and it seems like a um it seems like at a an attempt like jim you mentioned an attempt to use taxation as a vehicle for behavioral engineering. Absolutely. And that has failed countless times over the decades and centuries to use taxation as a vehicle to generate, you know, some type of behavioral engineering, whether it's prohibition of a, of a type of product or, uh, you know, uh, it, it could be the soda tax in New York City. It could be anything like that. That's it's people just part of part of the thing about freedom is freedom in its truest form is messy because we're we're people. We're flawed individuals. And sometimes people make decisions that a person next to them, you know, person A will make a decision that person B wouldn't make. But if it's a decision that doesn't outright affect the health or well-being or freedom of the person next to them, then trying to tax that behavior out of existence is behavioral is it is an attempt at behavioral engineering. Well, and it's like I said, it always fails. You've effectively just defined uh, what many others who are far smarter than we, Locks, Hobbes, Robespierre, talked about in the social contract, right? So yeah. the social contract said that you do have freedom up until the point where it infringes upon my own. And, you know, I, 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 if I have a cigar indoors, it's typically at a cigar lounge or at a trade show in Las Vegas. Um, but I typically smoke on my back deck or in my garage or right. outdoors. And I'm not infringing on anybody else. In fact, I, I right. have neighbors who will sit outside uh, and they say, Oh, Nash, I love the smell of that cigar. That's fantastic. Yeah. But I'm not blowing it in somebody's face. So I, I accept and absorb uh, 
the consequences or potential consequences of, of being an adult, making an adult decision. It's the same thing with me having a glass of scotch or somebody eating a premium donut or somebody eating a box of Pop-Tarts or whatever. <laughs> At what point do we recognize that trying to engineer their behavior, we won't call it good or bad behavior, but their behavior made yeah. as an adult, when, when do we realize that trying to fiddle with that to the point where we get our desired result is infringing on their personal freedoms? Yeah. And a lot of these legislative proposals are, you know, veiled prohibitionist policies. I mean, I think it's crazy every time we see a stiff opposition against cigar lounge or cigar bar legislation. I mean, these are areas where people knowingly want to go and enjoy two complementary legal products where you're going to be ID'd and carded many times at the door, if not when you're at the point of purchase. And, um, you know, not only that, on the tax front, I mean, we talked about a lot of the state efforts. We're in the midst of a fight at the federal level that would raise the tax on all tobacco products a thousand percent. Premium cigars, a thousand percent, sixteen hundred percent for pipe tobacco, which PCA also represents. These are two legal adult products. And will they raise revenue for the first year? Possibly, but they will they will literally decimate businesses in in, in that second year, that third year, and then it won't be raising any revenue for programs in the future. These are unsustainable right. taxes that and, and you see, you know, folks in the manufacturing side have the user fees. They have many states. Most states have the OTP tax and now they have these additional federal taxes. So, um, you know, we're oftentimes an afterthought in the whole tobacco realm. It's legislators, especially at the federal level, going after cigarettes and vapor, vapor products. And um, as, as you all pointed out, most of the time, the folks that are introducing these bills that encompass all of tobacco are the most free flowing about cannabis policies. And, um, you know, recently in California, there was a report about use, usage of cannabis. Um, so, you know, that's something to, you know, we, we are not creating these fault lines and, and saying, you know, this is the contrast to this contrast. This is something that we're forced to respond to uh, by elected officials and a lot of these public health groups that are pursuing these prohibitionist policies. I yeah. think there's a, I think there's an interesting commentary that I can offer about the, the whole revenue generation fallacy. Yeah. They, they hope to create more revenue by taxing things at a higher level, right? So when I first carried the bill, the fiscal note and a fiscal note is when you change some sort of uh, financial policy, it, it either increases or decreases what the state likes to call revenue. Okay. So the fiscal note was $1.8 million. And uh, I was told, Oh, the state would lose so much money. And now $1.8 million in a, in a budget like the state of Minnesota or other, other state budgets is I mean, $1.8 million to you and I is a, is a large chunk of change. But in the, in the overall budget of the state, uh, I, 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 I refer to it as budget dust. So the budget dust was $1.8 million. The next time I brought the bill, the year that it passed, um, it was 
one million dollars and when we finally were able to fend it off uh it was like 2.7 million dollars so here's the important thing once we were able to get it passed and lower the cigar tax per stick you are now getting more tax revenue and that's the cigar tax on top of that yeah. you also have the general sales tax revenue that anything that isn't food or clothing in the state of minnesota gets taxed at yeah so now not only are you creating more revenue from the, the cigar only tax, but you're also generating more uh, upline sales tax. So what does that tell us? You lower the tax, people will shop locally, and you get to keep places like I've mentioned open. And they people come and buy cigars there as opposed to online, which is what most Minnesotans were doing when the local cigar tax was so high, they were ordering online. And you know, we all belong to various cigar Facebook uh, groups that they say, hey, I got a mail call today. And they, they have like 17 boxes of cigars that they got for $2 uh, from some online retailer. This was really about a local tax relief effort yeah. that that had as a side effect more tax revenue, which, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Reagan Republican. Uh, I'm probably more conservative than President Reagan is, but or was. But I, I, I was proven right in so much as it is generating more cigar-specific tax and now more general sales tax as well. And that's something uh, I know Josh and Glenn and others are pointing out to other legislators around the country is that if you have tax parity with what is being offered online, people will shop locally and the, the local shops will then do better. They'll employ more people and they'll be able to donate to those local charities who always come knocking at their door, you know, to say, Hey, we have some fabulous festival and we'd love to have you donate to our cause. Yeah. All of those things became reality when we lowered the tax. Can I, can I dive into a history uh, question? Do it. Um, this is another one for uh, probably Glenn. If you can give us a rundown of the difference between the ATF and when the FDA became the overarching organization to regulate uh, tobacco. When did that occur? Yeah. For all tobacco products, it was when the uh, Tobacco Control Act, um, when the Family Smoking Prevention Tobacco Control Act was signed by President Obama in 2009. And they immediately had power over cigarettes and smokeless in 2009. And it literally was 12 months later that they posted for the first time in the federal register of their intent to regulate cigars. So it was about April of 2010 was the first threat, the first threat to come after cigars. And it was almost 12 months to the day after they got regulatory power. And then it took them four years from there to issue the draft rule. And then two years from that to, to come out with the final rule, 2006, May of 2016, May the 5th. I remember it. Uh, I woke up in a hotel room in Indianapolis. We were doing the cigars for the National Rifle Association convention. And the wake up call was they just came out with the final rule. Hmm. So from 2000, it took from 2009 to 2016 for the FDA to get its paws around all tobacco products. Josh, you had something? 
Uh, I was just going to say, and this is, I think, a tradition now. How about that cigar? We do a special announcement that we haven't said anywhere before. And this teed it up perfectly. Um, we decided last week, uh, Glenn and I are going to be writing an ebook on three of the legislative and regulatory process involving premium cigars. So going all the way back, um, you know, Glenn and his wealth of knowledge, 12 years with Cigar Rights of America, being at the, the forefront, fighting many of those fights. And then some of the recent battles that, that I've been involved with alongside Glenn and our other partners, uh, we want to tell that story uh, because oftentimes the tobacco control and the premium cigar side, um, again, is glossed over or told by the opposition. So we want to make sure that there's a clear timeline of monumental events, victories and defeats and important stages of that process and how we got where we're at today. So that ebook awesome. is something that we'll be releasing uh, later this year and another um, you know, benefit for PCA members, PCA media. Uh, we hope to talk about that a lot more. And then yeah. the other thing I will point out, you, know, you, you were mentioning a lot about consumer involvement and education and even non-consumers. And I think you know, uh, Representative Nash mentioned other elected officials watching it. One of the documents that we put together uh, prior to the pre-show was the top 20 policy issues affecting premium cigars. And Representative Nash, Glenn, myself, even you guys, we are all getting kind of deep into some of these topics. But if you want the Cliff Note Primer, um, it's a four to five page document and it covers 20 policy issues that we're seeing as the most instrumental uh, at the state and federal levels. That sounds like a great resource. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing that. Yep. And and uh, great to have another uh, uh, breaking news on How About That Cigar Live. That's always, we did always that, love that. Did that history, uh, was that the scope you were looking for? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, the, so if I'm understanding it right, the ATF really didn't do much with cigar regulation. And it wasn't until 2009 that the FDA got regulation and only a year later did they put their first foot in the door. Well, and ATF obviously didn't have substance type of control. I mean, let's, let's face it, what's been proposed, uh, what has been proposed by the FDA and has now been shot down by, by a federal judge, let's keep in mind uh we were talking about the new blends on the market well mm -hmm. can you imagine this here's a new company jake wyatt let's think about others that are more shall we say institutionalized the predicate date for for substantial equivalence was 2007. right well christian aurora's cle company didn't exist in 2007. ernesto corello's epc company didn't exist in 2007. Right. These guys were, you know, pillars of the industry, but they had sold their former companies and launched new companies. Well, that wouldn't do them a bloody bit of good under substantial equivalence unless they could find that go through the whole mess of the predicate, the substantial equivalent to cigar and all that crap that everybody had to worry their, their skulls about from 2016 until the judge came down and says, you don't have to do substantial equivalence. Yeah. And it was like $10,000 per cigar 
Oh, it was hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It would cost it would cost a half a million dollars to put a new cigar on the market. That's per that's, Vitola. That's per Vitola. Hundred right, hundred grand 000, per Vitola. And let's put this in perspective. The te- we haven't even talked about testing, and I know we don't. Right. We're, we're going to come back and talk about the states, but since we're talking about the feds for just a second, let's put this in perspective. And this goes to the heart of the the ebook that that Josh brought up. And Rocky Patel gave me permission to to share this number with, so I don't mind sharing it publicly. Let's put this in perspective. With the number, we haven't even talked about testing. We've talked about substantial equivalents. We've talked about converting all the packaging to have you know virtually fifty percent of a box between the front, the side, the inside covered with a warning label with questionable signs. So you have to go through the repackaging costs. Then the then the substantial equivalence part of it. Well, testing. One, it doesn't exist, but that right. didn't stop the FDA from putting it in the final rule and, and having, it as, uh, having it as a looming threat today. Rocky told us publicly at a TAA meeting, and again, he said I could share this number, for a company his size, it would cost $67 million, $67 million to test all of his lines because it's by size. It's not by blend. It's by size. And the only methodology that could be used is cigarette testing methodology from the companies that provide that. And if you the cost basis is anywhere close to that, $67 million just for a company his size to do testing on. We had yeah. an economic impact analysis done on, the, on the, the final rule. And it said we had to be the only rule in the history of federal regulation where the cost to comply with the regulation equals 100% of the profit margin for every company. That's insane. And it, it is just insane. shows that this one-size-fits-all approach to the regulatory process simply doesn't work. And, and yeah. Gary, to your point about the ATF, um, the, there's a division <coughs> of the ATF that is still involved in the regulation mm-hmm. of premium cigars, the tax collection side. It's called TTB. Um, tobacco tax and trade uh, bureau and um, so you know they're still involved in that process early on um, the Department of Agriculture actually had a lot of involvement in premium cigars and tobacco prior to the Food and Drug Administration so um, you know we're at the federal level we're regulated on many different fronts I think the most draconian is what we see at the Food and Drug Administration, but we will routinely meet with TTV and talk about best practices and try and share information from the tax collection side of things to make sure that our, you know, our retailers, our manufacturers, everybody's in compliance with that. And that process is pretty, pretty seamless. Um, and those folks are not as adversarial to work with as the Food and Drug Administration in, in open honesty. Yeah. Cool. So I want to talk, I want to transition a little bit into the discussion about cigar bars. Um, and we've, we've actually seen some, uh, as far as I can tell, we've seen some good momentum with this recently for us living in Minnesota, um, traveling to certain other States, uh, being able to, in these other States, uh, walk into a cigar bar, go into the humidor, pick out a handful of cigars, go and sit at the bar and cut and light up one of those cigars, order a cocktail, 
and have great conversations with people while enjoying a cocktail and and that wonderful premium cigar. Um, there are so many facets to it that I can't see as anything other than beneficial to the states where it's legal. So, and it's something that I desperately and so many people I know just really want to see this become a reality in Minnesota and many other states. So where uh, I'm going to start with Jim. Have you pursued this avenue? And, and if so, what are the big um, arguments that you're hearing against it? If, if you pursued it at all? Um, I have talked about it and know about it, but and I'm, you asked early when we were in the green room not to make this overly political, but there is a political component well, to this, so I'm, I'm going to mention sure. it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep. I had a number of very pro-business, reasonably benign bills this past three years. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a relatively senior member in the legislature now, and I'm a committee lead on uh, state government finance, and I couldn't get a hearing on anything because the, the party that's in charge in the House is opposed to, one, giving me or my side a win, period. But on particularly something like this, you know, you would think that if I brought forward a request like this, that I had a blender full of kittens and my finger was poised over the puree button, <laughs> it, they're, they're just never going to let that become a bill that gets heard in committee, let alone get engrossed into a bill or passed off the floor. Now, in, in my three years now in the minority, I've had a couple of bills, but they were one was renaming a highway after a fallen firefighter and some other, you know, for the good of the order type bills. Something like this is never going to get a hearing ever. So I could introduce this. I could introduce it in a different form every day for the entire legislative session. I could introduce the same bill again and again and again and again. Never going to get a hearing. However. And this is where I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to become overly political, but I will I will make this one statement. Elections have consequences. And uh, the consequences of of elections for people who are pro cigar or pro cigar bar or even pro cigar restaurant. Let's go. Let's you know, let's go even further and say, you know, the, the scenario that you just gave rather than just stop at having a cocktail and a cigar. What if you wanted to go and have a meal? at a place that caters exclusively to people who are interested in having a nice night out, perhaps with an adult beverage or a, an adult beverage and a steak and a cigar. What's who gets hurt in that? Because again, you know, if Glenn comes here to the twin cities again, during the, the three weeks of fantastic weather that we get per year <laughs> and we go to one of these places and all of us meet up there to have a steak, a cigar and a cocktail, we are walking in the door knowing exactly what goes on there. Right. So if, if we understand that that place exists solely and exclusively for people who are willing to have a cigar, not keeping people out. So it's not discriminatory, but it is catering to people who want to come and spend their money on that type of activity in the vernacular. Who cares? Yep. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? Right. Um, so to get that, you need, a legislature that is willing to forward, pass, and put into a bill those policies that we've just talked about. And then we ultimately need a governor who will sign the bill. And, you know, that I, I both love and hate omnibus bills. Omnibus bills are sort of the landing uh, ground for stuff that you couldn't pass on your own. 
but an, an omnibus bill has carried a, a good number of things that we would like to pass into reality. Yeah. The way we get those things done is guys like you and our friends around the Twin Cities and folks at PCA and, and other places who say, help, let, let us help you understand this, Representative so-and-so or Senator so-and-so. And, and just for those watching, when you, when you speak to a senator, you guys know the difference between speaking to a senator and a representative, right? Maybe yes. you don't. You speak slower. <laughs> no, don't make any sudden moves because they may spook. But uh, <laughs> sorry, my friends in the Senate. But no, that's beautiful. <laughs> it, it, it comes down to the the voice of the average person coming in and saying, "Here's the reality. The reality is, I am willing to put my own personal wealth behind this effort. I'm taking on all the risk." And I would like to cater to people who would like to come in and enjoy the products that I have to offer. All adults, you all have to be 18 or better to, to have a cigar. You got to be 21 or older to have a cocktail. Thank goodness that we don't have an age regulation for steak, but you can, you <laughs> not, can go in. You, you can, yeah, not yet. You can go <laughs> into a place like that and enjoy yourself and probably leave a, a pretty healthy amount of your own personal cash behind for the evening. And part of that cash that you leave behind is taxes that goes to the state. Once yeah. again, I, I struggle to find the problem with that, but I'm sure somebody is more than happy to point out to me what, what the errant uh, thoughts that I have are. So where does, where does this regulation come from historically in, in, I mean, specifically right now from Minnesota, but, but also in other States is the, the fact that you can't walk into uh, I, I'm just going to name right off the bat Tobacco Grove because it's a very large shop in Minnesota. Great, it's very shop. spacious, tons of great tons shop. of selection. Great shop. They they would absolutely have enough space in there to put uh, to put a cocktail bar and things like that. Is it? It does this stem back to the Indoor Tobacco Control Act that makes it illegal, or 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 is it something else? Well. I'm Partly in the, in the state of Minnesota, former state representative Phyllis Kahn carried a bill to uh, disallow smoking inside. So we, are, we all remember that. That was 10 yeah. some odd years ago. So that's why we see, you know, in, in January when it's 30 below outside, you drive by a bar and you see people outside freezing their butt off but having a, a cigarette. Um, yeah. That, so that's part of it. But an, other parts of it are just... The, the general conversation around the quote-unquote perceived evils of cigars and, and other things. If we were to get people to sit down and have an honest conversation, and let's change the narrative. Let's say that we want to have a cannabis bar. Well, I exactly. guarantee you, if, if you drafted that bill, it would make it through in a, in a heartbeat. Right. So you know, let's... And, and, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let, I mean, let, let's call it out and say... In general, would you say that the Republican Party is more open to hearing about tobacco legislation in a pro category and the Democratic Party is typically in that anti-tobacco category? Are you talking about nationwide or Minnesota? Well, let's well, start let's, let's start with let's Minnesota. Start with Minnesota. In, Jim, in your experience, uh, what do you see in that in that arena? Generally, yes. 
again, with the exceptions of my friend Tom Bach, who is now really no longer even a, a Democrat. He's an, an independent that caucuses with the Republicans. But in, in the state of Minnesota, the place that I can speak authoritatively about, yes, the DFL is opposed to pro-cigar legislation coming forward and is is in favor of pro-cannabis legislation coming forward, which again, I think we may be on to something to say, to point out what I'll call hypocrisy, is yeah. if, you're in, if you're in favor of me being able to light up a joint and smoke that, inhale that, and if you put it in a bar or a place where you could have a steak and a drink and all that, and they would probably, they would fall down, knock each other down to, to author that bill, then what's the difference of, of having a place where I can go and smoke another one of these, have a cocktail in January when it's like a thousand below zero mm-hmm. and and do that. So that I think is how we're gonna have to frame the next argument that we make to do that that thing that you just talked about. But and then also earlier you had alluded to the fact where you had other um, democratic representatives that did enjoy cigars, but they weren't willing to co-author or come on board or even vote for a pro-cigar bill. Does that is that a, about their voting record and what they take to their constituents and kind of the yeah. game that they have to play there? It absolutely is. So in my district, I, I live in Carver County, and it's really one of the most conservative counties in the state of Minnesota. The more things that I do that promote personal freedom and the reduction of taxes, uh, the better off I am. Because people generally out here, and there's 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 a fair number of, of DFL votes out here, but the you know I usually win in the seventy percent to thirty percent vote totals. But that's a general. It's a it's a good generality that those two parties and, and where they fall on on this particular issue. Um, so yes, many of the DFL legislators who were with me, they would say, "Well, Jim, you know, I, I, gosh, I'd love to be on that bill, and I and I will vote for it, but gosh, I I I can't I can't stand up and say nice things about it." But in their yeah. caucus in their caucus room, I know that they, for example, my my friend Paul Marquardt told his members, "We are not going to put the repeal of the cigar tax lowering in the bill." that Representative Nash convinced me that it has nothing to do with tobacco and has everything to do with brick and mortar. So on, on situations like that, give the man credit, give him a chuck on the shoulder. And, you know, I, I work very hard for Republicans to win elections in my efforts in the state. You guys follow me on Facebook. You see, you know, during election years, I go out and I door knock for everybody. I fundraise for everybody. But when the DFLers who are with us do good things, I think that because we're really kind of a, a single subject advocacy group here, right? We're, we're about cigars. You yeah. guys may care personally about other things, but on this particular issue, we're here talking about cigars. Yeah. And I will tell you that I know firsthand that many of the people who are with us are not Republicans. Yeah. And they, they write checks, they door knock for people, they will talk to their neighbors, they will help move the ball. So my admonition on this is, yes, I'm, I'm happy to have, have been the, the chief author on this and really have carried it all the way through and, and made sure we both passed it and then held it off. 
but do give people who are on the other side of the aisle credit when credit is due mm -hmm. and tell them thank you for what you've done because yeah. for our single subject issue we are grateful that uh, we haven't had the reinstation re reinstitution of uh, that that tax yeah well let me give you the flip side New York Senator Jessica Ramos Democrat Senate Democratic leadership chair of the Senate Labor Committee did I say Democrat Nope. Sponsor of the cigar tax cap bill. Sponsor today of the new cigar bar bill in the state of New York. These products transcend party lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes. right here, God, I'm terrible with the cameras. Model cigar bar legislation right there. We've put together this collection of model cigar bar bills from around and statutes from around the country. You're going to think it's crazy from the anti-tobacco nature of, of this state. But in my opinion, the state of Oregon has the best cigar bar bill in the nation for one reason, for one reason. They are the only place that has codified the employee waiver where the employee acknowledges they're working in a smoking environment. They get a three-page form from the Oregon Department of Health. I have been informed of the hazards of secondhand smoke. I have been informed of the Surgeon General's report. And this is where I want to work. Yeah. It takes the entire debate of involuntary exposure to secondhand smoke out of the argument. And some places like uh, Club Macanudo in New York do that voluntarily with their staff. They're not required to do that, but that, that club Macanudo in New York city, like the grand Havana room and the Carnegie club and the cigar shops of the state of the city of New York were grandfathered after Bloomberg smoking ban and club Macanudo voluntarily started to do that. And I have encouraged that across the country, put that employee waiver in a bill. Yeah. And, and it just, it just takes, so much of the debate against such statutes out of the equation. Uh, but Oregon, uh, independent ventilation system, no one under 21 allowed, X percentage of your of your product sold at a walk-in humidor, uh, no other tobacco product allowed. I think that's incredibly significant. Mm -hmm. No other tobacco product allowed except premium handmade cigars in such establishments. I got no problem with that type of, of a caveat to getting a cigar bar bill, a place that might be difficult. Um, we were talking about other states in the Midwest. I mean, some of the great cigar bars in America are in Omaha, Nebraska. Who hmm. would have thought it? Yeah. Omaha, it is cigar tourism to go to Omaha, Nebraska to, to take, to go to safari. Um, from Lincoln to Omaha, is an amazing cigar corridor. Who would have thought it? It's because they've got a great cigar bar statute. Um, Indianapolis, Indianapolis is becoming a an absolute centerpiece. Yeah, with definitely. Burn, burn, blend. Uh, it's it's absolutely amazing what's happening in places like Indy and Nashville, and Houston, Texas, and Atlanta, Georgia. And now the, the proposition gets through because one commissioner, Jordan Johnson, 
gets a, a cigar bar bill through the Augusta, Georgia uh, Board of Commissioners and a narrow defeat in Louisville, Kentucky, but in the same vein, and a vote of 11 to 15. So it can obviously come back with some new leadership and new twists and turns. But the very fact, it's like we said with our new president, Greg Zimmerman, just the fact that the ordinance was introduced is a telling commentary. Yeah. We need to plot these things to have them introduced across the country. And and when Minnesota's politically ready, the, the models are absolutely there. And what they're doing in New York is also politically significant in terms of a, a Minnesota type of, of discussion, but it's applicable to any place across the country is they're building alliances with their local wineries, breweries, and distilleries to highlight and showcase their products in a cigar bar, which has to be an existing cigar shop. That's in a wonderful new political alliance that our industry can build to the spirits industry to showcase these products as a, the novelty that cigars are. Yeah. And Glenn, you and I have talked about bringing that model legislation here to Minnesota, because as you had pointed out earlier, I do work very closely with our uh, our craft beverage manufacturers, distillers, farm wineries, and and microbreweries, and large breweries as well. So I, I think we had talked about getting that uh, teed up and prepped for introduction. Uh, I, I think that it's an exciting opportunity, but I I also try to temper people's expectations that sure uh, you know it took me a while to get the tax reduction passed, but. Once again, it, it, it also comes down to, I think, people's willingness to have conversations that are as devoid of emotion as you possibly can have them. Yeah, right. And, you know, for those that watched the debate that I had on the floor and in committee rooms and other places, you know, I, I can give a fiery speech on the floor and I can I can poke the bear with a stick and often do in other committees over other issues. But on this, it is all about logic and and evidence and i, I yeah. you know i used to be a competitive debater in junior high high school college and, and beyond and, and it really is that it's a debate case that you need to be prepared for and share and help people understand that this is something that is taken advantage of by willing participants who understand the situation walking in the door and will not come back and say oh they forced me to work at this cigar bar and now, uh, you know, I, I have, you know, some malady that they, they may or may not have. And they, they try to bring something as a result of that. I think that they're, that, that the, once again, I'll say it, the, the, the people who are furthering the uh, recreational cannabis legislation, if you sat down and had a rational conversation with them and talked about things like this, that they may become proponents. Even, even though many of their party leaders and many of their constituents would you know, go out and buy a voodoo doll of them and start sticking pins in it, <laughs> if you have that rational conversation, you say, look, guys, here's the reality. The, the bill that we're asking is honestly, morphologically, no different than you trying to pass recreational cannabis. Yeah. One of the things that we wanted to do at PCA, and Glenn and I have had, you know, conversations about this uh, going back to when he started with the organization, we want to be an aggressive advocacy organization where we're introducing positive legislation where we're not always on the defensive. 
And I think with the cigar bar debate, we saw a lot at the state level and at the local level, the introduction of legislation that would help the industry overall, manufacturers, retailers, local communities, and generating more revenue, generating another destination and a tourist uh, spot for that. Uh, so we're going to continue to fight for that. You know, Louisville was a, a narrow defeat, but, you know, Augusta was a big victory, you know, with the, the um, you know, golf, golfing and the connection there, the connection with sports. Uh, that, that is an important win. There are other states that introduced that fell short this state legislative session, but we're going to pick up the pieces next year and try and advance those. But to give you a frame of rest, reference, you know, even when it comes to cigar lounges, there was opposition in one state this year for permitting the, the sale of water um, in, in the lounges. So if, if you're seeing a formidable opposition that doesn't want a retailer to be able to sell water in their place of business, and then in another state, they were going to re uh, require retailers to sell Nicorette patches and cessation products when they have no effect with premium cigars. This is an addictive product, as, as we mentioned before. But to your original question, Garrett, a lot of these bills as it relates to cigar bar bills and greater indoor smoking is tied to the Clean Air, Air Indoor Air Act and the exemptions that are in place or grandfathering. So some of the businesses that were in operation, a state passes uh, a Clean Air Indoor Air Act, they're, they're grandfathered or there's exemptions. In my home state of Pennsylvania, you know, there's there's some grandfathering, there's some local control there, and then there's also uh, exemptions. So for instance, at casinos, um, you're able to, to smoke there. But you're also seeing this outside of the governmental apparatus, um, you know, certain buildings and property managers, in order to be uh, LEED certified, have to have non-smoking. So the private sector is is coming in and saying, hey, you know, we can't permit smoking. So we're we're fighting this from a multitude of different fronts, some governmental and non-governmental. Yeah. Well, what's on a on a federal level, on a nationwide level, what is what is the best first step for consumers to take to become a part of this discussion and a part of this effort? I think it's you you know, I'll do three things to, to, to start off. Number one, educate yourself on the issues, read through those primers, watch shows like this and other shows that are not about government and politics and advocacy to understand the premium cigar industry from the manufacturing perspective, the retail perspective, and of course, the consumer perspective. Secondly, you know, sign up on cigaraction.org to receive our alerts. And then thirdly, start having conversations and cultivating relationships with friendly elected officials so that they're able to advance the ball forward. I mean, if we didn't have a, a good relationship with Representative Nash, Minnesota would be a lot worse off in terms of premium cigar free freedom. 
And Representative Nash went out of his way to come to our trade show, which is the epicenter of premium cigars for the year. And um, I think that his perspective, if we were able to get a, someone like Representative Nash in 50 states, having a good relationship with retailers, manufacturers, and consumers, we would be able to get more and more of these victories. We, we have on our, our page, uh, premiumcigars.org, uh, right next to the top 20 issues, the victories of 2021, and we're continuing to rack those up. But our success and failure depends on the, the tripod, the um, all the different spokes of the industry. And I would add cigar media in, into that as a fourth one. Uh, consumers, manufacturers, retailers, we have to have those relationships with elected officials. It has to be constant too. You can't have one good legislative session and then forget about it. And then that's when bad policy creeps up on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Josh is actually absolutely right there. So, you know, you have a victory and, um, you know, when we had, when we first passed the bill to reduce the taxes, people were like, Oh, great. We're done. And I, and the first person that said that was at an event that we were talking about earlier, guys that have called cigars and baseball, you know, someone said, Oh man, you got to pass. Fantastic. We're good to go. And I said, no, you're not <laughs> because any bill that can be passed can also have a repealer passed down the road. And we've seen it, you know, in every, every one of the States, and federally is someone works their tail off to get a bill passed. Uh, perhaps they come out of the majority or they retire or whatever, and somebody sneaks something in the back door. It really comes down to uh, remembering that the effort is continuous and that you can't you know, spike the ball and hope that you're gonna win uh, and the win will be forever because it's, it's just not, you have yeah. to, have to remember that uh, for every tax it can be repealed, it can be re reinstated, or as was proposed this last session here in Minnesota, it could be uh, increased beyond what the previous uh, tax reduction was. Right. So it, it all comes down to folks who are watching this or are watching federal stuff, um, remembering that their voice matters. And I always encourage people to say, reach out to their elected officials and say, I'm insert name here. I am in favor of uh, the tax uh, reduction that was passed or whatever we're talking about. And I vote. Yeah. Because you remind people who are in elected office that you're watching, you're watching them and their votes and legislation that they either author or vote for. And you remind them that you were the one that put them there, or you can also be the one that, that removes them. And you know, I, I am I am I am very pro individual freedom, and I I have a lot of things that I am I, I've forwarded. And actually, my nickname is the ATF rep because I've passed alcohol, tobacco, and firearms bills. Pro alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Not all together, kids, but uh, not, all, <laughs> not all at the same time. But uh, that that many of the issues that are sort of the hot button issues. Um, are people who have, feel strongly on either side of, of the equation, but that you remove as best you can the emotion that is wrapped around it. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I passed several pro-Second Amendment bills. If you take away the emotion of it and you talk about the logic behind 
what does the Constitution say? You can have a better conversation than if you, you know, slam your shoe on the table like Nikita Khrushchev uh, and make make a fuss out of it. It's all about being well read, well versed. You know, Glenn and, and Josh can help with people being educated on the issues with a lot of the research that they've done so that they approach other electeds like myself and that they are armed as opposed to walking in and say, oh, I don't like what you're doing. I hate you. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> yeah. You you get you get a, a lot further by having that logical conversation. Yeah. Well, let's remember where the, the politics of cigars began. When the original S-chip proposal came out, it's kind of like what Jim was talking about in Minnesota, but the original S-chip tax was proposed at the federal level to be $10 a stick. And then it went to $5. And then finally it got down to the 40 cents. But let's remember what happened. 2008 IPCPR convention in Houston. All the retailers were hit with this during the trade show. I was there and I was just a, a, a guest of the, the Virginia retailers at the time. There was no CRA and there wasn't a, the political apparatus that there is today at the, at the PCA. And the manufacturers and the retailers were scrambling, having these on-call meetings during the trade show. And after the show was over, uh, Kristen Aurora and Rocky Patel and George Padrone and Jeff Borschwitz, a handful of them, went directly from Houston at the show to Washington, D.C., and this is a verbatim quote of what their grand political strategy was. Talk to anybody willing to talk to them. That was their strategy. Talk to anybody willing to talk to them. And they, they through George Padron, befriended and, and had a great ally in Kendrick Meek at the time in the House of Representatives. And he was a member of the Ways and Means Committee. And he gets a meeting with Charlie Rangel, who was chairman of the Ways and Means Committee at the time. And that's how that proposal got from $10 to $5 to 40 cents in a really abbreviated version, but talking to anybody willing to talk to them. Now it, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be focused. It can be targeted. We're having fly-ins. We're bringing retailers in. We're bringing consumers in. We're scheduling meetings within congressional districts, within house districts, within Senate districts, within city halls. You know, it took a lot for, for J. Paul Tucker to stand up in front of city council in Louisville, Kentucky to, to deliver testimony. Or when Chaz Klein pulls together research for a tax cap bill in Nebraska. Or uh, Gary Colsair doing the same thing for a tax cap bill in New Jersey. Or Joe Arundel trying to get smoking back into cigar shops in the state of Washington. I could go state by state by state and name you retailers and consumers that are playing an amazing new leadership role for the premium cigar industry. And that's just within the last decade that that level of political sophistication has risen to what it is today. And we still got a long ways to go, which is where I want to cap off this one little comment. Every single retailer in America should know who their member of city council is, who their members of the state legislature are, and who their members of Congress and the United States Senate are. And they should have the district director for all of the above on speed dial. Yeah. They should be inviting them into their cigar shops for town halls. Consumer clubs should be inviting their elected officials in to join them. 
this is happening, but it needs to happen on a much grander scale. And we're going to continue to work together to build a much more sophisticated political network, building up cigar consumers as a bona fide political constituency. And as Jim said, when they make these calls to these offices, end every conversation, end every conversation with this phrase, I will remember what you do on election day. That's nice. It's not yeah. threatening, but it says sends a message. And I've been in all these congressional offices and they do keep a track of the yeas and nays. And Jim, I don't know how big your district is, but at your level in the state legislature, I'm just guessing 425 phone calls to your office might get your attention. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be a little 425 over. <laughs> Yeah, I, and, I, I serve roughly 40, right now, about 45,000 people. So, as Jim well knows, and elected officials that are friends of our industry across this country, elections are being won by very, very small margins these days. Yep. Yeah. Two and three percent. I mean, there's been some elections chosen. I mean, what would Al Gore do for 625 votes in Florida today? <laughs> I mean, yeah. we can I'll swing elections. And we need I'll to give you an act. Go ahead, Jim. I'll give you an example, Glenn. So uh, one of our good candidates that came up just a little shy this last time lost by 102 votes. One of our existing members in her first election won by one vote. One. So, yes, they. If, if you can motivate people who are with us on this particular issue to get out there, uh, it is it is something that has uh, a very potentially positive impact. We use the number 3 million and it's plus or minus, but there's not a special interest group country and not a special interest group in this country that wouldn't give their right arm for 3 million constituents, for 3 million bona fide constituents. And that's what we've got. And, but you know, so we've got to have every retailer in America put cigaraction.org on their website. We've got to get the consumer to become galvanized, to look at that, to, to get our information when a bill is up in New York or a bill is up in California and all points in between. It is the one way to get to know the issues and, and we make it easy for you. You put in your name and your zip code and, and the message goes for you to your elected officials on any bill, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. But having that upfront relationship is absolutely critical. And the leadership of all these consumer cigar clubs and, and, the, and the, the owners of all these shops across the country and the manufacturing community need to become galvanized all at once. And, and this Dick Durbin bill has is, is got to become the 2021-2022 the case study of how to defeat a piece of legislation that can destroy and gut this industry from the start. And working collectively using the strategies that both Josh and Jim and I just articulated are pivotal to saving the future of this industry so that we're not lumped in with big tobacco, so that we're not the sacrificial lambs, and so that we're not subject to federal regulation, and that some good positive legislation can be passed at the city hall level and the state capitol level. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but we, we try to give people the information that's out there. And, and that's why we have guys like you on because there is, while there, while there is a lot of work to be done, we also 
want to let people know that there are positive things happening every day and that those positives will continue to compound the more we work together uh, as individual consumers to local groups to uh, states and then the federal level it's you know uh, it, it it all starts with each each of us as ind individual cigar smokers uh, and if I, I've said this so many times on the show if each of us just put in the tiniest bit more effort yep the results would be would, would be astronomical if, if each individual cigar consumer put forth just a touch more effort we would be blown away at the results because here's the reality someday we're not going to have a jim we're not going to have a glenn or a josh and it falls on the consumer and if that consumer base is strong and is informed and is involved it makes that so much easier for this industry to continue well, I'll tell you, uh, Glenn told me when we were out in Las Vegas that I'm not allowed to retire from the legislature. So <laughs> he, he already told I me that apparently, apparently I'm going to die there with my boots on. But um, I, I think I'm going to add to what you just said there and, and to encourage people to recognize that uh, even the smallest amount of effort on their behalf and to bring in. So, it, you know, again, here in Minnesota. This time of year, you'll see a lot of guys hanging out on a driveway around a bonfire pit uh, having a cigar. Talk yeah. about where you got your cigar. Say, you know, I, I got this at my local retailer, and uh, I know for a fact that we've got some things that are on the horizon. Could we get you guys to uh, write a letter, or and this is not a request, but to say, hey, if you find a legislator that is behind you, Write a check to help them make sure they get reelected. Or if you find a candidate who is willing to go and do this for you, write them a check to help them get elected. Or put up a sign, knock a door, um, you know, do a, a letter to the editor or or something. Yeah. Because people have been have, have been acculturated to this idea that their vote doesn't matter. That's that's bunk. Again, I, I told you that a, a good friend of mine at the legislature won her first election by a vote. If that isn't enough evidence to tell you that that one vote matters, I don't know what else it would take. And and she's been a great voice for things like this and a lot of other freedoms. Sometimes it is down to a single vote. And for people who sit at home and say, well, you know, I was going to go to the polls today, but eh, my vote doesn't matter. B.S. It yeah, does. Right. That's right. Get off. Get off your hinder. Go to the polls. And in Minnesota, we have a, a, a no excuses absentee ballot. You can do that. I think Matt's about to show us that he's going to share a lot well, of his cigars. So, perfect. so this is this is my travel humidor. This is one of my many travel humidors. But every time I go to the polls, that's where I put my sticker. I put my sticker that says I voted on my travel humidor. Perfect. And I encourage everybody to do that. Take it off your lapel, take it off your jacket, and put it on your travel humidor. Because it's a reminder every time I open this box to grab a cigar that I have I have work to do. I, I, I have I have a voice and I have to and I and I have to engage it. And websites yep. like uh, Cigar Action and Cigar Rights, they have done the footwork. They literally have made it so easy for us 
to find the information, to find the email addresses, the phone numbers, and even in some cases, pre-written letters yep. to send to our representatives. So if you're worried about writing the letter or any of that, that footwork has been done. Go to those websites, get involved, and it's a little bit of effort. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Glenn and I first met each other when I, I, I pried his phone number from, I believe, your admin, Glenn. I, I, I left a message <laughs> and, and finally said, no, look, I'm, I'm a state representative in Minnesota and I'm, I'm forwarding pro-cigar legislation. I need, I, I was like pushing the bat signal button. I need some help. I thought it was a uh, crank call, but. Yeah, well, he told me to, <laughs> told me to get, he, he told me to get off his yard. Get off my lawn. <laughs> um, I was like, no, I'm not buying your insurance. <laughs> no, my, my car warranty is up to date. I'm, I'm good. But, yeah. uh, we, we had a conversation. I was I was walking out my front door to head down to the Capitol, and we, we had a good conversation to say, hey, um, I have a hearing. I'm moving the bill. I need a little bit of help. Um, and after that, he pushed it out to his membership uh, at his previous uh, place. And I started getting I started getting these pre-populated messages like, we would like you to vote in favor of Representative Nash's bill. And I always find those funny. Uh, when I respond to them, I'm like, yes, uh, I will. I am Representative Nash, and I am going to vote for my bill. Um, but thanks. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, those things help. And, you know, yeah. I'll say you all do it well. Uh, if you want to look at the classic model of, of who does it very, very well, NRA does it well. Um, you know, so so model those things. And, and individual shops, to Glenn's point, should plug into that or – you know, they've all got their own proprietary mailing um, list from customers who leave emails. Do it on your own, too. Say, you know, if you would like, give us your email address. We'll send you, before you even get home from having made your purchase here, uh, the email of your local representative will help you send something out to them to encourage them um, in a non-threatening way to say, hey, you know, I, I'm in favor of this bill that is moving its way through committee or has just been introduced and we would encourage you to vote in favor of it. Here's why. And then follow up, not just send out an email and think that you've done your job, but, you know, I, I will, and I'm, I'm unusual uh, at the Capitol. I return all my own emails and I return all my own phone calls. My LA hates me for it because he says, <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking away some of the work that I could be doing. But I respond to people who take the time to reach out to me. Yeah. And they're always blown away. They're like, wow, I actually heard from you. Um, work with the legislators, work with individual consumers to set up that, that one-two punch of send an email and then encourage the legislators to respond. Um, encourage people to show up at events like Cigars and Baseball that our friend Kirk is, is putting together. Or you say, hey... Um, and I know Glenn and Josh and I have talked about bringing uh, certain cigar um, influencers out to Minnesota. You know, I, I had talked to Michael Herklotz uh, about coming out here to Minnesota and doing uh, a shop-to-shop -to -shop tour or having a having an event. Mm -hmm. Demystify the cigar industry because it, it, it is kind of mysterious at times, right? Yeah. You know, the, the typical... The typical misnomer is that it's a bunch of guys in, in really big suits or nice suits sitting around, uh, you know, they pulled up in their Bentley. And I love sharing this story. I was right in the middle of trying to pass the bill. And I used this in committee um, at my local cigar purveyor in my district. Uh, sitting around Derek Smeagol's bonfire was me, one of my friends who is a welder, another friend who's a doctor, 
another guy who drives a gasoline truck, uh, another guy who owns a, a local veterinary uh, clinic. What did we have there? We had a, a very diverse cross-section of people who like cigars. Blue yeah. collar, white collar, medical professionals. They all were there because they enjoy that. Demystify the people who enjoy cigars by saying, look, I, I know people who have to go home at the end of the day and use a nail brush to, to, to wash up before they go have dinner with their family. And they love cigars, too. Mm-hmm. It's, not just, it's not just a bunch of rich, fat cats. Um, it is people who do uh, hard work every day with their hands who enjoy a stick after a shift. Help yeah. people understand that it's not just for uh, a bunch of rich guys. It is for everybody. It's for everybody. That's right. Well, this uh, this has been a great discussion, but I think it's yeah. Is it time? Yeah, I think it's, it I is think time. It's time. All right, it is now time for this week's numero de los muertos. There it is. Sorry, I'm a little late with the sound cue. And as always, guys, numero de los muertos is brought to us by our friends at Smoke In. Episode 122, Numero de los Muertos. Garrett, what do you have for us this week? All right. For those who have not seen or played the game, I give a number. And then we play 20 questions to try and figure out how these people have died. This number is a 15-year average uh, with a study concluding in uh, 2019. 44,000 people a year in the U.S. die from this. All right. And as always, viewers, if you guys have guesses, leave them along with us in the comments. Uh, Glenn, Josh, Jim, we're all going to guess along and try to figure out what this is all about. So 44,000 people a year yep. in the U.S. Yep. die and from this. 20 question style, so you can ask yes or no questions or just guess it out. All right. Are they workplace accidents? No. Are they wild animals? Animals are not involved. Are they travel related? No, they are not. It is not stress or job related. Weather related? Uh, what was that? Weather, is it weather related? Weather related, weather, he said. It is not. Uh, is it, are vehicles involved? No. Are is refrigerators involved? No refrigerators. No refrigerators. Is it and food related? Probably not. Is it choking? Is it, no. Is it a medical condition? Yes. Is it well, a death disease? Usually is a, death yes. usually is a medical condition. Death, death is a medical condition. That's a good point. <laughs> it is a disease. <laughs> it's a disease. Mm-hmm. 44,000 people a year, 15-year average. Mm-hmm. Is it viral? No. So insects are not involved. 
correct. It is not genetic. Great question, Chad. Hmm. Is it stupidity? No, probably not. <laughs> I don't know if that's terminal or not. I, sometimes I, I wonder. It can sometimes be. Sometimes it is. It can be. Um, uh, is it, uh, could it be any age? Um, I mean, technically, probably yes, but is it, is it typically adults? Yes. Is it typically older adults? Yes. Well, I would say, um, the, the age group that falls into this category are 35 to 60 is going to be the, the target. Hmm. Uh, yes, Chabot, Chad, it is. Chad says, is this a question? Yep. Habit-induced? Yes. Homelessness? No, sir. Is it crystal meth? No. Oh, no, you said no, it's a disease, not a drug. Um, is it Alzheimer's? No. <sighs> is it schizophrenia or other mental diseases? No. Well, that's a good question, that though. Hmm. Um, is it... It is not lung cancer. Is it a blood disease? No. You're getting closer. Is it a pulmonary disease? Mm-mm. No. Uh, is it a cancer? Chad... Benedict. Chad's got the right answer. Is that it? It is. Cirrhosis. Cirrhosis. So Liver now here comes here comes my soapbox, <laughs> if I may. Um, I, oh, I lost. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sadly, it's a, sip. I, it's a sip, Glenn. Oh, <laughs> it's a sip. <laughs> I don't uh, mean to get uh, too dark or teary here, but um, I did lose a family member today from addiction and um, runs rampant in my family. I've been sober 26 years. Alcoholism has claimed, obviously, it you know, cirrhosis of the liver is most commonly. 99% of people that um, are affected by cirrhosis is from um, alcoholism. And my soapbox is this. We regulate cigars in such a way, but we don't regulate alcohol to the same. They're not on the same. They're not even in the same sport regulation wise. And yet we, we have this, um, you know, through either if it's cirrhosis, if it's uh, DWIs, if it's, um, you know, all the other alcohol related deaths that happen. And yet we have cigars that the CDC says there is no, um, what did it say? I just read it too, to make sure I had my words, right. Um, no verifiable data that cigars are related to anything that makes it a statistic, right? Cigars are not killing people. And yet we have a lot of other things that people consume that do kill people 
and yet we are over-regulated. When used irresponsibly. When used irresponsibly. When used irresponsibly. Absolutely. Talking about alcohol. Talking about alcohol. Yeah. So um, just another point to responsible use of products. We should be free to do that. I'm not saying that, you know, um, but the point is people can drink themselves to death and that is okay. I shouldn't say it's okay, but it's allowed and people can, you know, get in their cars. Well, it's, it's like what we talked about earlier. Freedom is messy. It is messy. You know, having the freedom to make personal decisions sometimes means people are going right. to, they're unfortunately, it's, it's sad every time it happens, but sometimes you're going to have a case where somebody or a few people make a bad decision when it comes to using a legal product, whether it's consuming too much alcohol, whether it's uh, driving a fast car irresponsibly, whether yep. it's uh, using a, you, you know, uh, using a firearm irresponsibly, yep. you know, they're legal products that when used uh, responsibly are uh, safe products. Yep. So, and I'll go as far as to say, you know, over the 26 years of my sobriety, I've had um, a handful or more of brothers and sisters who have gone back out either drinking or drugging that have, you know, they have died. And um, I don't know anyone responsible or otherwise irresponsibly using a cigar. I have never heard of anyone dying from, from a cigar. From cigar smoke. Right. Responsibly or otherwise. I mean, you make a really good point that. So, yes, I, I do like uh, a drink from time to time. But I yeah. think that if you look at all things as responsible and moderation, that that's yes. probably a pretty good measuring stick to apply to whatever it is you're using. And, you know, people say, well, Jimmy, pass a cigar bill. You must have like six or seven a day. No, I, I don't. Uh, I might have you know, two or three a week in the summer and. Uh, but when it comes to alcohol, I, I make sure, like when I go to a, an event or a fundraiser or whatever, typically, even when I go to, you know, like the Lynn had pointed out that I, I pitch uh, legislation for craft beverage manufacturers, I have a drink. I have a drink because I recognize yeah. that with that comes other responsibilities. One, you know, as the father of six kids, what am I demonstrating to my kids, but also uh, what, am I, what am I demonstrating to others? So... Yeah, if you if you find something that you enjoy, do it responsibly, and that's that's why I made the point in committee about the the premium donut. Uh, again, people yes. die people Same die every thing. day from, from obesity, yes, uh, or cirrhosis or whatever. Uh, be responsible in the things that you choose to partake of, and yes. uh, consider the ramifications. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's a good one. So that was this week's. Numero de los muertos. All right, I gotta, so I that yeah. song in some political speech somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, so normally we do some uh, a number of lightning round questions, but I'm gonna do just one question for each of you guys. So, uh, Josh, I'm gonna start with you. Um, if you okay let's what technology innovation has had the most impact on your life definitely uber 
Wow. I like that. Getting from place to place. I mean, in DC, it's so expensive to have a car. So I don't have a car. Um, and it's convenient, especially when I, you know, travel, go to different festivals, you know, cigar festivals. And um, so I am very thankful that Uber and Lyft are, are available. It, it gets me where I need to go. I like that one a lot. Um, so for Jim, your question is, if you could add anyone's face to Mount Rushmore, and it can literally be anybody, whose face would you add to Mount Rushmore? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Okay. We've had and, that answer a couple times. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that he, he brought back, if you remember the uh, It's Morning in America commercial when he was yeah. in his first uh, election for reelect, uh, it was an inspiring thing that helped people remember uh, what they had gone through and, you know, and that that's from uh, the Vietnam War and then Nixon and other Carter putting pride back in what it meant to be an American, but also yeah. recognizing, you know, his question is, were you better off then than you were four years prior? And the resounding answer, was, of course, was yes, because he he won everything but Minnesota, sadly. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would lobby to put Ronald Reagan's face up there. Okay. Uh, so, Glenn, um, if you could bring back any fashion trend from the past, what would it be and why? How come I get the dorky questions? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a dorky question? I don't think. But, but honestly, before, before I even asked it, I kind of thought I knew what the answer would be. But I'm curious to hear, hear what you have to say. Oh. No, I know what my answer would be. <laughs> oh God! One fashion trend. I'll say something silly, because I had some really cool ones at the in elementary school. Silk shirts. Okay, I remember wearing. Oh a yeah, silk shirt. I remember rocking the silk mm. shirt back in the day. I, yeah. I thought you were gonna say zoot suit. Zoot you, you suit. Have, zoot suit. You have some of those wild suits like I do. But bow ties are still in, so that's yeah. I I thought you were going to say bow ties, although bow ties aren't a fashion trend from the past. They're still no, current. They're, they're still they're still there. They're still there. And let the record show. I had some pretty cool bell bottoms uh, too. Um, I would have answered. I would have answered fedora, hats for men. We get that answer a lot. Yeah. That's a common. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Thank or, you for the moral support from the panel. <laughs> My <laughs> I'd also advocate for cufflinks and French cuff shirts, but there you go. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's uh let's in move into this week's uh notable smokable brought to us by our friends at Ace Prime. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. So guys, each week we each name a cigar that we've smoked recently that was notable to us. It could be a cigar that's been on the market for decades that we just smoked for the first time in a long time, or it could be something that we just tried uh, for the first time ever. So, Josh, is there a cigar you smoked recently that kind of fits that criteria? Absolutely. Uh, the Wagyu, the JR 50th anniversary. Um, I am unashamed to be a huge 
Alec Bradley uh, fan, both Alec and Bradley and Alec Bradley. Um, so any of their new releases, any of their products, uh, before I had this job, you know, that, that was one of my, I have several go-to cigars, uh, but I, I was really impressed with that one. Really good with a good, uh, quality steak, um, or, or, you know, prime rib, any, any quality, uh, meat product, having that post, uh, post dinner, uh, highly recommend that. I, I think I, I got the box of 10 and i think i have one left so nice awesome nice uh glenn what about you any version now i've got a lot of staples and i never after a dozen years of this they're all my favorite so let that be said for the record uh but i swear you can never go just pick an edition of the tatuaje taa annual release just yeah. pick, pick one. I don't care what year it is, uh, but the T, the Tatoi TAA releases are are always amazing, and I I've got a uh, box of the most latest and and uh, highly recommended. But I'm also enjoying, like I said, a brand new Jake Wyatt, and then you know I got the staples where uh, I smoke a Ashton VSG Maduro VSG uh, Sorcerer for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, but there, there's just, I got to sum it up like this. And it's more of a philosophical statement. My friend, Hori Armenteros, who puts out the annual tobacco in his handbook available on Amazon to cigar smokers and consumers and retailers today. Uh, in the words of Hori Armenteros, who put it, puts it out for Tobacconist University, we are living in a renaissance of cigar making. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of the best cigars in the history of cigars are on the market today. And, and so really, it, it, I, I read a review today and I couldn't believe it. I, it's hard to go wrong. You know, from the smallest companies to the largest companies are putting out some of the most amazing product in the history of this industry. And that's over 300 years. And I think we're blessed to be living in this era, this renaissance of cigar making, as, yes. as, Hori, as Hori puts it. So um, I hate to spout off names of, of companies and the like, because they're all just doing amazing, amazing work. And I, I just want to cap it off by saying that because I, it's tough to pigeonhole a single stick. Yeah. And, and I agree with, with Glenn. I mean, you go to the back to the trade show and that and some of the new things that are coming on the market and new companies or companies that are really taking off. I think uh, for me, the La Patissia, Crown Heads, yes. El Timo, um, Glenn was kind enough to get the last Placencia sample for me at the trade show. Those three really shocked me. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to some of the stuff that's going to be on the market uh, and available for purchase in the next few months. Yeah. So Jim, did you smoke anything notable recently? Yeah. So, you know, like everybody, I have a, a humidor that's stocked full of the, the big names. Um, but a couple and, and Glenn was with me when we were out there, but, uh, uh, so I'm a big fan of the Arroyo first 20 years. I mean, that mm. is a, a very chocolatey smooth, silky cigar uh, i think that's a fantastic stick and I, I have those in multiple sizes and had the good fortune to sit down with christian arroyo uh, glenn we i think we talked to him for 
10, 15 minutes when we were mm-hmm. out there. Uh, fantastic stick. And if you haven't had one, get one. But I, I think one of the other ones that is notable for me, uh, it was introduced uh, two years ago, but it's from uh, J.C. Newman, and it is the American. Uh, I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys have had one. Yes. But it's a, it's a cigar that is made exclusively from American-grown uh, products, put in a box, made here in America. And, you know, okay, so I'm, I'm very much a, a, a patriot. Uh, I like the idea and love the idea that they have run out there with this cigar, and it's really good. So if you have a chance, get one of those. But those are two that I think probably aren't on everyone's tip of their tongue. You know, they, they go for the big names. But uh, those two, I think, are, are really good, notable cigars that I, I have enjoyed recently uh, that, once again, are probably not... Uh, on everyone's uh, list of things that they have to go get. But do try those. They're both fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Garrett, what was yours this week? Mine is the Christoph Sumatra mm. in Lancero. Yeah. Lancero. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, I love Lanceros. Um, it is all flavor. And if you want to really taste what a Sumatra is, that entire line does a great job, but specifically the Lancero. (laughs) Um, For me, this week's was uh, the Roma Craft Baca in the short Perfecto size. I had Mm -hmm. tried a couple of years ago uh, or last year when they first came out, the little uh, Petit Corona, the the Pygmy, I think it's called. Okay. Uh, So I tried the, the short Perfecto, which I think is called the Pokey. Uh, and I definitely like the short Perfecto more. I, the, I think the, the smaller one was fine, but, uh, something about that short Perfecto was, uh, just, just hit right. I think it's a really nice version of that, uh, of that blend for me. So that was this week's notable smokable brought to, brought to us by Ace Prime, improving lives through fine cigars. Visit aceprime.com to learn more. Uh, So to give our viewers and listeners a little bit of an idea of some stuff we have coming up in uh, the weeks to come, uh, on the 30th of August, we are going to talk to uh, Bobby Newman from J.C. Newman Cigar Company, just like Jim mentioned. uh, They are makers of The American, uh, among others, Brickhouse and and many others. Uh, So we're very excited to have him on the show. And then uh, coming up in the middle of uh, September, we have the one and only nick perdomo on the show very excited to have him on so um uh let's start with our our guys from the pca just to say thank you uh everybody for being on the show and uh for josh and glenn give everybody a final idea where is the best place for them to get information about pca and getting involved glenn i'll let you go first well, you know what we're all going to say, cigaraction.org. It all starts right there. It's our political community. And I think I just said that term for the first time. It is our political community. And 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 if you have any passion in your soul for defending this industry in the face of the greatest threats that it's ever encountered in its history, go to cigaraction.org, sign up, get our information, read the information that's there, Become the become as knowledgeable about the politics of this industry as you are about the blends of this industry, mm-hmm. and if you and if you do that, uh, this industry will be will be just fine well into the future. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that, Glenn. And I would say also, you know, Glenn, myself, Scott Pierce, all of the PCA staff, you know, this summer and into the fall, we will be visiting PCA members, non-members, uh, getting out in the field, having conversations at cigar lounges. Uh, I'll be going to the Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, have a personal conversation with us. Um, you know, if something's going wrong or, or positive uh, in your community, in your state, or uh, something that you read in the news that you have questions about, uh, we're uh, fairly easily accessible, and we want to have those conversations. A vigilant group uh, and community of cigar enthusiasts uh, helps us. Um, we are the force that's supposed to tee up legislation and work with uh, great champions like Representative Jim Nash, who I want to thank for taking the time for being with us today. Um, but, you know, if we're going to be successful in any of our endeavors, uh, it's going to be because of all of you that are watching this today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Jim, give uh, not only our, our friends uh, and family here in Minnesota an idea, but also people all, all around the country and the world. Where where can they find out more about you and uh, and reach out to you specifically for uh, for help with uh, the great state of Minnesota? Yeah, so my personal webpage is jimnash4mn.com. Not the number four, but F-O-R. So jimnash4mn.com. If you wanted to reach out to me there, uh, I, I'm available. My email is on there. I actually publish my cell phone as well. So some people say I'm, I'm insane for doing that. But because I believe in accountability and transparency, I put my cell phone out there. Um, that's 952-807-6416. And you guys can publish that if you want. But um, I, I also would say talk to a lot of your local brick-and-mortar folks. I, I know all of them, uh, some better than others. But um, I'm, I will be doing a couple of events here in the next uh, number of months. Um, but just remember that this bill was passed. If you live here in Minnesota, this bill was passed for uh, folks like you to go to your brick-and-mortars and buy your cigars from them because they are literally supporting your community. Um, but reach out to me via my cell phone or the webpage and go shop local. Awesome. Nice. Well, gentlemen, uh, we can't thank you enough for being on the show. We really appreciate it. This is yeah. something that, that we have, a, we have a, a deep passion for, and uh, we just want to continue to spread the word. And uh, we're grateful for your time. We're grateful for your work. And we look forward yep. to having... Uh, each and every one of you back on the show again, uh, seeing you again in person as soon as possible, and keep up the good work, all of you. Thank you. Thanks so much. I think I'll see you guys at Cigars and Baseball. Yes, oh, absolutely. Sure. So, Thank and you. Uh, stick with us in the in the green room for just a, a, a minute or two after the show uh, goes off the air. So, uh, we want to thank all our viewers and listeners, as always. You guys are the best part of How About That Cigar. We're grateful to you for watching and listening. Um, as always, if you guys have questions for Garrett or myself, email us directly on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. Follow us on all social media at HBT Cigar. And until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. <laughs>